what you gonna do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world run wild on you? If you're some man, the rock is cooking. But the cream rise to the top, oh yeah. That Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. That I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even in commentary. Nobody can touch me. Welcome to a, I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to be a special episode, an extra special, an extra special episode of True North Nerds, what we're subtitling uh, Mount, the Mount Rushmore of Wrestling. As uh, loyal listeners would know, uh, most of the people involved in the podcast are not heavily into wrestling, but there's a few half. of us are. Half, half. Oh, yeah, I guess half. There's four of us. There's two and two. And maybe 2.5 or three when you throw in. Snowhawk, because yeah. we we throw in that as well. We outnumber them then. So we we decided that we were going to do at least a one off on something we've been chatting about at bars for years at this point of who would be on our Mount Rushmore of wrestling. So we brought in, as you've heard, we've got Ryan Parent is here. Hello, and we have Snowhawk cosplay as well. Hello, I'm back. And for the first time on the actual podcast, but he has been referenced numerous times, other Ed, who will be known as Ed for this, and Ed Campbell will be going by Snowhawk Cosplay for this, so yeah, we don't... I'll just go by Snowhawk. It makes it easy. Snowhawk. It, 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 we just... That way you'll know who's who. More Ed's Ed. than hey, one podcast can handle. You, you don't have to wave. They can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get used to it. So the the rules that we set out were as follows. Wait, there's rules? Yeah, sort of. Oh, you get, they were well, very yeah, very big because okay. it was Rushmore. Yeah. yeah, I had to remind him this morning how many people were on Mount Rushmore. Yes, but they were going to add Trump. So <laughs> no, they were, they were Trump wanted to add Trump himself. Well, that's why you can have an extra. And we were allowed to have one runner-up. Now, what qualified these wrestlers on your Mount Rushmore was up to you, but you had the sword to be able to explain yourself. So, I guess, who wants to go first? Ooh, stunt. Okay, so Snowhawk's well, going to go first. I think I, I, one of the original ideas was from probably me of saying about the Mount Rushmore. It, it, it's either, it, honestly, it's either you or Ed. It's one of, one of the two Eds came up with this so, idea. Anyways, I'll go, I'll go first. So I've been, yeah, thinking my, my list for like over a year now. Oh, wow. Cause well, I think it was last year or something like that when we first started talking about well, this. Oh, so, it was pre-COVID. When Pre-COVID, came, came definitely. The idea. So uh, for my four on the Mount Rushmore, in well, who's your runner-up? Let's start with okay. the runner-up well, first. Well, my runner-up is a tough one because my runner-up was 
at times on the Mount Rushmore, See, and I've had to take them off. Before you say who it is, my, for me, I, w- I was thinking the other way. I wanted to say who my four were, and then my runner-up, because I don't know that my list. That's the way I've, I've thought my list kind of in, in an order. But, oh, okay. But I think it's. I think we should. Yeah, the thing, because then you can say why they just missed without giving away. Or, you know, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Let's yes. okay. Start right. with your Mount so, Rushmore and then hit all your. Right. So on my four are Hulk Hogan. Okay. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay. Okay. Bret Hart. Okay. And then this is where my fourth one. I've rotated three people in and out over the past year. And originally, I had Chris Jericho on my Mount Rushmore, but. Over the past year, I've taken him off because originally it was Chris Jericho never had a bad match. And in my personal opinion, after watching some of the stuff in AEW, eh, I haven't seen some great matches with him. So it's like, okay, he came off my Mount Rushmore. He's still, he's one of my runner up. And so my fourth one, and I've gone against him being one of the the top four of wrestling of all time but he's on the mount rushmore now and that's rick flair Ooh, okay so walk us through the processes at least short hogan obviously yes. is one of those so hogan ones. like you do not have professional wrestling today without hulk hogan without mm-hmm. hulkamania you don't have a national wrestling promotion you don't have global dominance you don't have the pulp culture, especially in the 80s, like later kids listening to the podcast, which if there are any, but, you know, like guys our age in our 40s, you know, we grew up watching Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan was everywhere, like Saturday Night Main Event, MTV, you know, the... uh, You had a cartoon. The cartoon. It was in Rocky. You know, yeah, Rocky, um, A-Team, there was, you know, all the ancillary merchandise. You could get wrestling on everything. Like, I remember getting Humpty Dumpty bags of chips, and they had little mini WWF cards. Yeah. So, you know, you do not have wrestling today without Hulk Hogan. Okay. It would still Fair probably enough. be the regional territory system like it was in the, you know, leading up until 82, 83. And to your point, I would even say like kids today who are in at least into wrestling, like maybe not out the kids who are outside of wrestling fans would still know Hogan as yeah. like a figure of note. Maybe have never even watched one of his matches, but the name is still yeah. synonymous with pro wrestling. And the other thing with Hogan, I know a lot of people are like, okay, he doesn't have the talent. It takes a certain amount of talent to put over a good match with who he wrestled. So you look at WrestleMania 2, he's wrestling King Kong Bundy. That's not an easy thing to try to pull off a good match with Bundy. You know, WrestleMania 3, wrestling against Andre the Giant, you know, 500 plus pounds and couldn't even walk. Yeah, he was he was pretty banged up at that yeah. point. So WrestleMania 4... You know, that's when it was putting it on Savage. Uh, WrestleMania 5 against Savage. So that's the only time, I think, in a WrestleMania he had a comp- uh, an opponent who could wrestle. Who was, who was better than yes. he was in the ring. Yeah. He, like, Savage could 
wrestle circles around Hogan. Uh, six, you know, there he is in Toronto putting on with Ultimate Warrior. And Warrior just didn't really have the skills and ability. No. I think that's even being charitable. <laughs> WrestleMania 7, you got Slaughter. Slaughter's, good. Slaughter's really good. Like, mm. Slaughter is a good... He's not a, a tactical guy. He's a he's a brawler, but you know that was a good match. Um, so you get Hogan who can do, you know, pull out some of the most iconic matches of all time with guys who are a spectacle, not a competitor. Hmm. Okay. Uh, then you lead into, you know, we're celebrating 25th anniversary of NWO. Now he's not the genesis of it. It was something he got into. But that is one of the biggest things to ever change the wrestling mm. business as well. And so that's why just everything he's been involved with, I put him, you know, yeah, front and center on the... The, on the, the alternate the timeline where it's not Hogan, where it's Lex Luger in that spot. Because it was Luger who was originally going to do it. Yeah. Is an interesting pro wrestling what if of how that would have changed WCW's fortunes completely at the time. Okay, so that was Hogan. So, and then Bret Hart is on my on my Mount Rushmore mainly because he is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. There is nobody who could put on a match like Bret Hart. Bret Hart could put a match together and no matter who the opponent was, he could make it look good. He made it look like a competitive contest. You didn't, you know, there's, when you watch certain wrestling matches now, you can see where they're running through their head. Okay, this spot and this spot, this spot. Everything that Bret Hart did, it could have been pre-planned, but it looked spontaneous. It looked like it was an athletic competition and he was doing what needed to be done at that time to get that move over. Mm. Um, You know, he was great on the mic. He eventually got better. You watch some of that early stuff, like after Stampede, when they first came up into WWF. A little bit rough there, but they had Jimmy Hart with them. Mm-hmm. And when you had, you know, uh, Jim Jim Neidhart and Jimmy Hart with Bret Hart, like that was they were a dominant tag team. You know, he held every single championship at the time in the WWF, five time WWF champion. Now the whole leaving in 97 and going into WCW that didn't work out the best because it just didn't get the quality of a match and they kind of dropped the ball with them but that has nothing to do with Bret Hart that has to do with the booking and the planning at the time. yeah so no okay Bret Hart. even now you can go back and watch Bret Hart matches and this still be the best oh yeah the uh, and depending on who the opponent is those matches still hold up really really well and you know same with that rule that I said with, you know, Chris Jericho, there was never a bad Chris Jericho match. Eventually there was. Uh, Bret Hart, it's really hard to find a bad Bret Hart match. I would say once you go into WCW is where they would be mainly found. There's got to be the only one I can think of, and it's but it's not a singles match. And it's not their fault. And even then, to their credit, it works out okay, is that it's a Saturday night's main event with uh, that never aired, or they reshot or something, where the rope breaks. Oh, yeah. And it's them versus the Rockers. And they managed to pull off something okay, 
but it was just like it's not their fault yeah right? that was like, on the actually the A&E biography of Brett yeah Williams. I think I want to say you can f- the match is either on the Brett Vershawn DVD that's got that sit down interview with the, the both of them or like the Bret Hart like DVD collection yeah. that they put out a couple years ago uh, so next on the list is Stone Cold I, I think that's there's really no reason why to explain why Stone Cold's on the list. As I said, you didn't have wrestling today without Hulk Hogan. You don't have wrestling as big as it was in the 90s without Stone Cold. And I would agree with that. Stone Cold made Vince McMahon a lot of money. And <laughs> WWE is where it is today because of Stone Cold. Well, it's that, that smoking skull shirt, the Austin 316 with the skull on the back is like still one of the best-selling pieces of merchandise they have ever had. Yeah. And for something like 25 years later, the taglines are still there. You you could you know, you could say Austin 316 anywhere and people are going to know what you're talking. The about. audience is still doing the what? Yeah, as much as I hate thing. it, yeah. it's still it's, used. Yeah. So, and uh so number 4, yeah, it, Rick Flair was never one of my top wrestlers. But, you know, spending the last year, especially on the WWE Network, going back and watching, you know, the old Starcades and Slamberies and, mm. and uh, Bash at the Beaches, um, just for what Ric Flair was capable of doing back in the 80s, like being able to do 60-minute matches, carry a whole company by himself. Yeah. Um, you know, NWA, when they were getting picked over and, and all of their top talent was going to the WWF in the mid eighties, you know, Ric Flair was the guy who was still keeping the lights on. And you look at his lasting endurance because he's more popular now than he was in the eighties. Like, especially he has had this weird crossover with hip hop. Yeah. Like, and I, I'm guessing it has to do with the fact that, like, he is so ingrained in certain hotbeds of hip hop, like Atlanta and yep. things like that, right? Well, and, and he gets hired to go to f- like football games and give like motivational speeches to teams and stuff. Well, even, um, you know, for work, my head of office is in Atlanta, and I went down to, um, I went to SunTrust Park to go see a Braves game. And they've re- replaced the chop and all the, you know, the things that the they brave, used to do in the, the 90s. Yeah, okay. They replaced that, like, in the seventh inning stretch. It's woo! <laughs> and if they're down at the end of a game, you just hear the whole stadium just yelling woo. And That's a suitable replacement. I'm okay with that. I didn't know that they were doing yeah, that. And oh. the other, this is another little point of uh, with Ric Flair, because where my office is, in Georgia, uh, there's a couple restaurants that I go to. It's like my my birthday a couple years ago, um, I, you know, the it's three miles up the road from the office. Ric Flair goes there once a week. Like he posts on Instagram that he's at he's at that barbecue joint. So, like Ric Flair is in like there will be a time I run into him. I'm I'm quite confident that I will run into him. Like a guy I work with, he took his wife to the hospital and Rick walked past the car 
as Rick was going into the hospital. So, like, he is in that Duluth, Lawrenceville area okay. in Georgia. So that's his home turf. Yeah. So I'm. Gonna, so what you're saying I'm is, run into him sometime. So what you're saying is you added him to the list because you knew he listened to the show and no. you don't want to get on his bad side no. for when you do run. No, into him. it's just it's, it. Looking at if you're going to pick the top four of all time now, going back and looking at all that talent because. You know, growing up Southern Ontario, we we weren't a WCW NWA territory. No. We're WWF. That's what we saw. This is before the days of satellite and that kind of stuff. Your regular feed was WWF. So we didn't get to see it. I'm trying to think of how old I was when TBS came up. Like, I had cable growing up. And I would have been, I want to say 11 or 12 when TBS came on and we got at least we got wcw saturday night like yeah. every saturday i remember the odd time maybe chch and hamilton would come through where we are yeah and because they used to show saturday or wcw saturday night yeah so the odd time then you see like the road warriors and that kind of stuff so no rick rick's made the list just because of okay. his legacy now um so the question is now Who's the runner-up, and why didn't they make it at the well, end of the day? So my runner-up, I hate to say it, I got two runner-ups. No, okay, I'll, I'll allow it because uh, again, another one. It wasn't until I go back over the past year and reviewing his body of work was Undertaker, mm-hmm. and Chris Jericho was always on my list. So Jericho's kind of come off because this last year in AEW, he hasn't wowed me, but. Undertaker was never really on my list until you go back and you start realizing how many big things Undertaker was involved in and, you know, his lasting endurance. So they kind of fight each other for my runner-up. Okay. Some days some days Undertaker takes the lead and some days it's Jericho. All right. So to, to recap, you had Snowhawk cosplay as Hogan. Hogan. Bret Hart. Bret Hart. Stone Cold. Ric Flair. Okay. List that is very hard to argue with. Now we'll, we'll go to the man who's been prepping for this because the minute we decided we were doing this, he started his he list. He started researching his list. Ed, who is on your Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling? Well, I wanted to come in prepared. Well, that's good. That's cool. That it, so, Your effort is appreciated. I looked up a lot of names. I was researching and I uh, looked up some of the stuff Jim Cornette said. Because he seems to be a great historian on thing, um, I kind of went away from some of his stuff though. So your list is: would it be fair to say your list is made on historical significance and also personal preference, like kind of mixing the two? Uh, my personal preference will have nobody on this list really because oh, my personal preference will be guys that wouldn't be considered for uh, Moondog Spot. <laughs> No, it'd be like Raven and Bam Bam Bigelow and the okay. Missing Link okay. and those kind of guys. So. All right. Uh, first name on the list would be Gorgeous George. Well, uh, like the original The original, though. not Randy okay. Savage's valet. Yeah. But the original TV star from the early, I guess be the 50s, 60s, when television was just starting out. He yep. was a bona fide star. He was the first actual real gimmick character mm-hmm. that got over. I mean, he was drawing huge audiences. He was apparently an influence on Muhammad Ali. Yep. A young Muhammad Ali met him, and he told him, you know, it's the talking, it's the selling the thing, and that's when Ali started putting effort into his 
his in selling the promos, actual fights. Yeah, I guess you would call it so. And apparently, according to Luthez, he wasn't a bad wrestler. So Luthez is a pretty good stamp to get. And it's a gimmick that, has, like, now it politically not the world's greatest idea, depending on which way you take it. But it's a gimmick that has been reused in various forms, like pretty much every ten years. Yeah, and just his whole influence on putting an effort into just the entrance instead of just yeah. walking down to the ring. He had the whole the valet and the spray and everything, and making the referee put gloves on to search him for foreign objects. And <laughs> really, hey, yeah, that's awesome. Throwing bobby pins oh, into the audience. You're not good enough to touch me. Put on gloves. Yeah. Yeah, that's his whole thing. He had this whole nowadays they wear gloves just because they don't want to touch each other because you never know what you're going to catch. But... Yeah. Uh, second on the list would be Randy Savage. Uh, I mean, he was in the same era as Hulk Hogan, but he was far and away the better wrestler. Again, he was somebody everybody knew. I think he was maybe the first wrestler to do actual commercials for like a pro- like the Slim Jim commercials. I don't remember. He's still on the packaging. Yeah, yeah, if you go into Walmart, they've got like a little cardboard standee with them. It must be a deal that they rebrokered at some point. Yeah, I was surprised to see that he's still the face of Slim Jim. Yeah, and he has been dead uh, seven years. Has it been that long? Something like that. So, yeah. Like a while, over five. Yeah, I mean, right. there's there's no question he could go. He could do a little bit of high flying stuff. He his promos were fantastic. And if you say Randy Savage, everybody can imitate Randy Savage. Yeah. Or everybody tries to imitate everybody Randy tries, Savage. Everybody tries. Everybody pulls out the, oh, yeah. And they, and they do the little finger things when they're doing it, too. It was, it was just kind of entrenched. He And he was a star as soon as he arrived at the WWF. He wasn't a big name. He was wrestling in Memphis. And as soon as he walked through that door, he just he was a star instantly. Mm. Like, everyone was like, oh, my God, who's this guy? He's like the Macho Man in these little pink tights, and guys didn't wear pink a lot back then, and or at all, really. And, well, and also with Miss Elizabeth, she helped sort of change and elevate, too. Yeah, but he came out before he had Miss Elizabeth, though, because they had the whole thing where all the managers were coming out scouting him yeah. to see who was going to sign him, and then eventually he brought her out, mm. and he went even further. And it, he had the ability to... You really loved watching him, and then you watched how he was treating... Miss Elizabeth at ringside stuff, and you hated him at the same time. Like, man, this guy's great, but I really hope he gets his head kicked in. Yeah. <laughs> and even uh, you look at later on, like, uh, what was that, WrestleMania 7 or 8? 7 was the oh, retirement sorry, so, match. Uh, was that the retirement match, 7? With, with, with the Ultimate Warrior? Yeah. yeah, and when she came out, like Elizabeth came, came out, that rescue. was still one of the yeah. best. That was my first WrestleMania that I remember watching. I was like home sick or home on like March break, and my uncle had gotten a tape from a buddy that he worked with, and we sat down and watched it. And it was like one of my first. It was an early one of my earliest exposures to like WWE and then becoming a fan of it. I think a lot of what really held him back was the backstage politics. Because there was another guy back there who didn't want to lose his spot and still had to be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And I think if it wasn't for him, he could have been an even bigger star than he was, really. Yeah, and it didn't help. Like, it's weird now to think about it that, like, 
he was put out to pasture in his like late thirties, early forties in WWE. Yeah, like they had decided he was too old to to be wrestling. Which now you look at it, and that's kind of ridiculous. Like you're you kind of in the, your prime in your forties, pretty much or <laughs> pretty close. I, I was listening to uh, the Major Brothers podcast, and they were talking about it, like about what they're going to do when they're done wrestling. And they both said when they started, they both figured like. Well, by the time I hit 40, I got to start wrapping it up and maybe 42. And both of them are like, eh, no, no, we've got at least another 10 plus years left each. And especially when you look at like the, the, the two, as we record this, the two hottest free agents that in pro wrestling right now, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson are both in their 40s. So. Yeah. Well, and I think it takes to your forties to get the psychology down on mm. on what you're doing in the ring. And in terms of Macho, like WrestleMania three with with Steamboat is that like benchmark match? Yep. Yeah, but also four running the gauntlet to to win the the championship. Yeah. You know, going through one man gang and and uh, you know like four four was his WrestleMania, like coming out and wrestling four times in the event. I. I, I don't all remember about that. that one. Yeah, for that's whatever the reason. that's the bracket. It was a yeah. tournament for the title. Yeah, him yeah. and Biasi in the final. Hogan and Andre right, got right, right, Hogan right. and Andre got eliminated right at the beginning. Gang. And it was like, um, or sorry, it wasn't one man gang. I guess it was Akeem at the time, wasn't it? Oh, I think he was still one man gang. Same dude. Gang. Yeah. Same dude. The same dude. One gimmick is very, very unfortunate in today's. He, he hadn't gone through the ritual transformation yet. Yeah, but the fact that Savage was out four times mm. wrestling, wrestling four times in that to then beat Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, like that was a, which was a great feud. Yeah, yeah, and then right. you know that leads to five, and then the Mega Powers. Mm. Screw it, flares off my list. I'm putting Macho. Okay, <laughs> so Gorgeous George, Macho. Uh, Bret Hart. All right. A lot of the same reasons as, as Snowhawk. Um, he was just, he could talk, he could work. He could work. Technically, he might have been the best wrestler ever. Like, he has that track record of nobody got hurt in the ring with Bret Hart. Mm. And it, But everything looked real, legit. Yeah. And he knew ring psychology. He knew how to. He made Steve Austin really. Yeah. yeah. The, oh, with the double swerve match. The there. double swerve match when he fled from it. a stone match. Yeah. And that, for me, like in terms of his realism, it all comes down to that uh, that bump that he did the sternum in in yep. the corner. That just like every and you read his book, he's like, yeah. no, I knew how to do it. It didn't like it didn't tickle, but it what like. But you looked at it and you're like, oh, well, he's broken his chest in half. He just, he had that like snap impact to a lot of his stuff that just. The, the sharpshooter, which is one of the most beautiful looking uh, submission mat or submission moves in wrestling. That nobody but him can do right. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Owen and Sting. Sting. All right. Natalia. Owen and Sting. Natalia can do it. Is she still using it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sting kind of, yeah, the, the, the rock, rock sharpshooter. The rocks is awful. Oh. <laughs> it's just uh, terrible. Also, like with Bret Hart, one of my favorite moves. Beautiful, flawless, every time, his Russian leg sweep. 
Yep. Like yeah. his Russian leg sweep is absolutely beautiful. Like it's, it's got that snap to yep. it well, where it just like, just twat. the way he would work the leg. He would work the leg to set up the sharpshooter every match. Yeah. You know he was going to do it. He'd do it. He'd do it well. Like he'd you know walk up and kick the, knee, the guy's leg out from underneath him, or stand over top with the legs open and, and knee down on the on the one knee. Yeah. And he, he he had his move set. Elbow he drop off well. the middle top middle rope and yeah. like Ric Flair's book. Rick Rick cut down Brett by saying. Brett only did the same moves every match. Really? And how I'm many, like, how, how many Rick's, times did Ric Flair go to the top rope and yeah. actually hit a move? I yeah. Mean, yeah when on. I read that, I'm like, Rick, like, do you did you read the words that you just wrote? But, but same thing. Like he had a way to set up a match before the sharp. Yeah, he and like you said, he knew how to carry a guy to a good match. Him and Bulldog SummerSlam. Yep. Well, Bulldog could work, too. But. Well, yeah, but if you read Brett's book, or apparently... Uh, now, I'm going to throw in allegedly so I don't get sued by anybody, but allegedly Bulldog's, like, high on crack at that point. Oh. And just, like... And he just worked it through and just... And between that and muscle memory on Davey's part, it, it turned out really well. Yeah. Yeah. And Brett is the guy who introduced the ladder match into WWE. Yeah, from yeah. Stampede. And even as much as you know, him and Shawn Michaels have disagreements in that Shawn Michaels biography, when they talked about the match, you said where the rope broke, Shawn Michaels, even, you know, Bret Hart being the consummate professional, knew how to keep it going so we could keep going while they were trying to fix the rope yeah. instead of everybody just stopping and looking yeah. at it. That so. interview between the two of them is, is worth watching because they, they had more or less buried the hatchet at that point. But it's when they get into talking about the wrestling stuff. It was really interesting because they would trade ideas and tips and stuff like that. And But, okay, so Brett and... Uh, this was where the tough one was. And I eventually I went with Mick Foley. Ooh, okay. Interesting choice. WWE won the Monday Night Wars because of Mick Foley. He quietly was the guy who won it. He wasn't out front like Steve Austin or The Rock. Or DX, who I think were below Austin The Rock on that. But what turned the point was after WCW was winning the ratings for seven, how many weeks does Eric Bischoff have on that shirt? 83 weeks. 83 weeks. And they gave away the ending of the Rock Foley match when they said Foley was going to win the belt. And yep. everybody tuned over. Yeah, everybody changed the channel yeah, on it. Because everybody wanted to see Foley win. When Foley went off the cell through that table got up with the tooth in his nose and just kept going and went through the cell again, that's where everything changed. Because everybody started watching this guy go, man, this guy's just going to throw himself out there and kill himself for the business. And then they started releasing all the footage of his uh, death matches. And he wasn't the most sound wrestler. The things he did, he could do well. But Mm -hmm. he knew how to play the character. And he's kind of the guy who started the whole extreme influence really when people or at least mainstreamed it i guess would be the the boiler room match with undertaker yeah yeah but when you when they went back to those death matches i think that's where a lot of the influence was on ecw i could be wrong but maybe they looked at it go wow this guy's crazy i could do crazy stuff too i could throw myself in the barbed wire and set things on fire and see how everybody could top it Mm. and like Side note, he seems to be a decent human yeah. being, which, especially for that era of pro wrestlers, 
seems to kind of be a rarity. <laughs> Unfortunately, like there's some good, and then you hear horrible stories about other guys. Yeah. But I mean, he was a smart guy, and I think he's just the very quiet hero to the whole Monday Night Wars. Okay. Just the way he put himself out there. Everybody wanted to see him win. He had, you know, good chemistry with Austin when they were doing their thing. He had good chemistry with the Rock and Sock connection. He was sort of this underlying hero that didn't get all the attention because he didn't do the great promos like The Rock or Austin. He wasn't selling as much merch as them and everything. Mm. Well, he did great promos. He's a great talker. No, no, I I, I don't They're mean like just... that, but he didn't have, like, any kind of taglines. Like, no. There's not, and there's... Have a nice day. It's also, like, it's hard to point out a particular promo of his. Like, Macho, you can go to, like, the, the, the cream of the crop promo and, like... Hogan's got taglines and stuff like that. Foley just did like consistent good mic work. Yeah. And but there's there's only like little bits and pieces stand out, but there's not like a full promo that I can really think of other than those other than the JR the JR sit downs mm-hmm. where when he was mankind and he's talking about dude love and jumping yeah. off the roof and stuff. This is Foley's little boy. Yeah. Yeah. Either the the promo bits that stand out is um, uh, introducing Mr. Sacco in the hospital room. Yep, yep that McMahon. works. Yeah. The uh, Rock, This Is Your Life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I always liked him when, in, when he was the commissioner, especially with him, Edge, and Christian. Those three guys just had really good comedic timing with one another. All right, so Mick Foley, and who's your runner-up? Uh, like I had so many names I had on this list and I had to keep crossing off. Uh, I kind of got down to the last two I had to cross off. One was Kurt Henning. Oh, okay. Incredibly solid worker, really good on the mic. Mm. I think, again, it was politics in the WWF that he was never the heavyweight champion there. He was always slotted in that like middle card IC belt slot. But he did elevate the IC title. From where it was. He was one of the first guys from that group that really put it up there. And then, well, he was IC title holder for a long time. Yes. And then along came, you know, Bret Hart yeah, and then Shawn Brett Michaels. Around, and then yeah. it became back to a worker's title again. Yeah. And the other guy, another, if he could cut promos, he would have made this list was Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. Like, always, always a good guy, too. Never a heel run. No. And if you look at... What they what they always say is the greatest WrestleMania match ever. It was Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. Mm. If you go to Ric Flair, who a lot of people put on their list, and I didn't, but um, Ric Flair's greatest feud or whatever matches are with Ricky Steamboat. With his trilogy of matches. Yeah. yeah. Like, the guy could work. He just, he wasn't really a talker. He didn't do these outstanding promos, and mm. I think that's kind of what held him back. I think, weirdly, he's a guy who would have, if he was working today, would do much, much better than he did in in his time period. Because if you see interviews with him and stuff, like, when he's naturally talking, he can talk. It was just yeah. kind of the the gimmick sort of thing he couldn't really do. And I think if he was around today and was just sort of being himself as, like, the awesome wrestler... And Talker, he he would, like, in today's age, he would have gone really well, even far. even if he was still calling himself Mr. Perfect, but using more of a, yeah, I'm, I'm perfect. I could see him 
being the same way as MJF. We were talking about Steamboat. Oh, they're still talking about Kurt Henning. No, Sorry. no. I must we, have gapped out We for branched a bit. off there. Sorry, I fell asleep. Yeah, no, that Mr. Perfect gimmick would, well. In, That's MJF. MJF today. is more yeah. or less doing the, the same yeah, t- I, sort I, of thing. I didn't catch we switched people. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. No, I remember when the first time I saw Steamboat on WF television was before he was the dragon. When he showed it, and he was just moving around that ring so fast and mm. smooth, and I was like, "Man, this guy's so good!" And then he eventually became the dragon. And, uh, First time I remember seeing him is when uh, Savage put the ring bell into his throat. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's my first pro wrestling memory is that that feud and like that part of it. All right, again, a list that's very hard to argue with. Ryan, did well, you finish yours now? Oh no, I've got my list. But <laughs> now my list is pretty much a recycled list because other people got ahead of me. Mm. Um, my list isn't necessarily my favorite wrestlers. But you know, there might be you know, all, you know. So the first two people on my list on my well, that I'll say, uh, Hogan and Flair. Neither one of them, when I was watching wrestling like in the '90s, growing up, like first intro, you know, I was never a, a Hogan guy. I liked Ultimate Warrior, mm. and didn't because I didn't know any better. <laughs> I was a kid, and I liked Savage, especially since one of my first exposures to professional wrestling. Like, to like, to a WrestleMania was that WrestleMania seven match, and but you know but you can't ignore Hogan's influence on the industry. You know if you looked at it because of what kind of a, you know the people that they are today, yeah, his would also probably be one of the first faces chiseled off of the Mount Rushmore because of politics and and just personal issues and things like that. But you know Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania. That made professional wrestling, professional wrestling, the worldwide thing that it became. Uh, and then you know that was WWF. On the other side, you had WCW, which, like Snowhawk uh, said, we didn't get up here a lot. Mm. Uh, especially you know we had cable, but my cable was I only went up to channel thirteen until we got a VCR, and then I could get higher channels because the TV only went up to thirteen channels. So. That was showing your age, right? Yeah, I was going to say, there's a bunch of kids that don't understand what, how that could But it wasn't happen. even a dial. It was buttons. <laughs> yep. But, uh, but yeah, on the other side, you had WCW, and the big, the big name there was Ric Flair. Sting as well. But over time, I think, you know, Ric Flair's still the bigger, you know, he's the, he's the bigger show. He's the showman. He's, you know... He's strutting. He's hanging out with women. He's got the, the limos. He's got the the, uh, the the robes that are still sought after and collected by people. Uh, they had that whole WWE most wanted treasures most wanted treasures show where they were looking for things like that and talking to people that had over the years found them and bought them and the thousands of dollars that they go for and just listening to them talk about how iconic these robes were from different moments in time and it's like i you know i've never really thought of it that way because i never really paid that much attention to their ring attire but there are people that will go out there and collect yeah ring gear from these big moments or big events and but yeah so they got those two um then you got stone you know, once again stone cold steve austin you don't have the attitude era without stone cold steve austin uh, Which and in the moment where Stone Cold sided with Vince McMahon, killed the Attitude Era. 
Yeah. That was the start of the downturn. When he, when he, when he got corporate he's... stone cold. Yeah. yeah. And then it took, that sort of ushered in where you got Cena, Batista, Lesnar, Randy Orton. Oh, Ruthless Aggression. Yeah, the yeah. Ruthless Aggression era. But... Or as I like to call it, the times I didn't watch wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Who's CM Punk? <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, so those are the, so those, you got those three. And yeah, they're kind of to me the, the, the no brainers. And then, uh, you know, I've been wishy washy back and forth on my fourth, fifth, and sixth, really. But so I, you know, I went with Chris Jericho for my fourth. Now, my thought thinking, you know, someone who's been around, who's been able to have up until more recently, because he, he's got his rocking dad bod and, you know, he's on the road, had great matches, yep. very athletic. Could always work the mic, and has been able to remake his gimmick every time he comes back, and get popular, and be able to to run at the top of the card if you needed him to. Mm. Uh, just his coming, you know, going from coming back into WWE with the list and walking with the checklist and just going, you know, that gimmick and just how how over it became is you know just shows that you know at how old is he now, like. He's not 50 yet, I don't think. So he would have been in his early 40s at that point, or yeah. mid-40s. And even now, in, you know, he's you know, a brand new company. He's helping, you know, bring, make, makes a whole new faction, another new gimmick. Now he's the, the demigod or demogod. Uh, he's always gone from being good to a heel to good again, yes? I just want to correct you. He made La Faction, oh, not le, a le, faction. Le, le Faction. <laughs> he's <laughs> Le Champion with the bubbly... And just yeah, just all, look at all the merch he's still selling, the influence he still has, and yeah, so that's why I had, you know I had to include him on my list. Now, as the I said, of, he was on my list until yeah. the last year, and yeah. then it's like and, side note about the list uh, as like an anecdote trivia question thing is three people on the actual list have appeared on True North Nerds. There you go. <laughs> Now, I went back and forth with Bret Hart because Bret was always one of my favorites as well. And I just, I guess it just came down to that Jericho is still going today. I know that that's not Bret's fault. You know, he ran into a, he ran, he ran into, into a Goldberg, Goldberg. and that sucks. But that's why he's, you know, so he'd be my fifth. So, if, you know, if all of a sudden he had to like scrub off Hogan's head, then you know, then Bretts would go back up there instead. Um, and then if I went with a six, like another um, Edge has always been one of my favorites. It's fresh in my head. All right, so, yeah, so those are mine. You know, there's no point in rehashing a lot of stuff that was already said. Yeah, what can I add to it? But that's my list. Well, uh, so actually, Ed, could you pass me my phone? I have my list on there because I can try and remember what my last one. I I decided that I was going to concrete it yesterday and i wanted so um my list is very similar to everybody else's Expected. Uh, I, I'll, I'll go through the ones that are have already been said there's one that hasn't and there's two two runner-ups okay um so brett's on my list much like everybody else has said just in ring one of one of the best ever there's yep. no argument there's like and he was also a guy who gave back a lot like he you he didn't 
have issues really putting anybody over well other than Shawn michaels on one particular thanksgiving well, weekend <laughs> but on a whole you you watch the guys that he wrestled with and helped out like and i saw somebody posted up a clip today of the rocks doing a promo tour for uh, jungle cruise and the guy doing the interview was wearing a bret hart t-shirt and rock like turned to emily blunt and explained who was on the t-shirt and that like that dude when i came in helped me out got me a good understanding of the business and while he didn't say names he's like when there was a lot of other guys out there who really didn't want to help a young guy like me out it's stuff like that that really sort of cements a legacy more than anything else like I think, yeah, Jericho's not having the world's greatest matches in AEW, but I think when his time there is done, where they we start finding out all the stuff he's helping with guys behind the scenes, like we've heard bits and pieces, that's kind of going to be more of a, a well, the, be part of his lo- lo- the, legacy, legacy yeah. at the the this sort of end of his career phase. Yeah. So I had Brett. Um, I had Macho because uh, I was never a Hogan guy. Like for and like I always liked good guys, but for whatever reason, Macho was the one heel that I'm like that dude's awesome. He's a horrible human being in in the ring, right? But like he put a ring bell in Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's throat. Like the nicest guy in the world, he put a ring bell into his throat. But I want to see what happens next, and that was. That's one of those things that I think marks some of these guys as great is no matter what you, they do, you want to see the next chapter of that story. So uh, after him, I had Austin because we, as has been repeated, we didn't really have WCW much for a good period up here. And Austin was just this badass force of nature. It, it, it's it's one of those things that the WWE, how they promote him, like his history in the show is pretty accurate. Everybody wants to punch out one of their bosses at some point. He got to do it. The the other thing with Austin, looking at him now, since, you know, it's 25 years of, of 316 and all that kind of stuff. Um, WWE is, especially when you watch the network, there's a lot of revisionist history. Mm. Like, You'll watch stuff about DX, and they'll go back and oh, put DX. Oh, DX is the reason why they won the Monday yeah. Night Wars. They'll put DX watch on a higher pedestal than than really what they were. DX was big. I'm not saying that they weren't in the '90s. Yeah, but but they were mid card. But when they keep saying like how big Austin was, and for those who don't know about like wrestling in '96 '97. When they say everyone was watching wrestling, it's not a joke. Everyone was watching wrestling. Like yep. Monday night, like 20 million people were watching wrestling every Monday night. WCW had contests that send guys like wrestlers and announcers out to WCW Nitro parties. Like kids in colleges would be getting together in their dorm rooms and like the common rooms and stuff. Like it's like you, you could go into any of the sports bars on Monday night and wrestling was on. Yep. Uh, every, every Sunday that there was a pay-per-view, mm-hmm. like you could go to, oh, you know, here, here in town, there was a lot of bars that had every Sunday that the pay-per-view was on, it was on. Yep. And you'd walk in the place and you'd have three, 400 people sitting there watching, watching a pay-per-view. Like, 
It was pretty huge. There, there's never been a time like that Attitude Era. Well, you look at the ratings, especially now. It's like good ratings for any wrestling show at this point. You look at the numbers they're putting. Oh, like that's great. It's nothing compared to what they were getting. Well, back now then. they're you know when you look at the ratings, they're fighting over 1.6 to 1.8 million when you compare Dynamite, Dynamite and Raw. Yeah. You know, so they're fighting over just under two million viewers per week, while you know back in the Attitude Era, Monday Night War, it was twenty million. Yeah. So yeah, like when Stone Cold was everywhere, it's not an exaggeration. He he had a drink milk ad, like with the milk mustache. Yeah. Like you could get his shirts in cases of beer. Yeah. <laughs> and like in the ring, like after his neck surgery. Or like the injury after uh, Owen pile drive them wrong, he adapted his style and kept going, like and did really well. Well, and like when you look at even stuff that Jim Ross said, you know, like when Stone Cold had a guy in the corner and is stomping a mud hole in him, and it as Jim Ross said, like it's the crappiest looking mud hole stomping you could ever see. Not even touching the guy, but he's over so big. That you look through it all. Mm. And was there ever a finishing move as iconic as the Stone Cold Cutter? Or st- like the, the stunner. stunner. Like the stunner. Like Just the fact that he was he pulled it out when, pretty much whenever he wanted. He could come out of nowhere and put the guy out and yeah. win the match. Yeah. Yep. So that that's my main is Brett, Macho, Austin. And to fill up the last slot, we're going a little international. See, that's what I expected from you, some international flavor, because I don't watch... I'm not exposed to the lucha scene or the Japanese scene like you are. Yeah. So uh, I went with Jushin Liger, and it's part personal and part uh, what the guy meant to wrestling in Japan. And to a certain extent, what he ended up meaning to wrestling here is Jushin Lager was one of the best high flyers ever to hit when he did. And I caught him because he ended up wrestling on a Clash of the Champions, which was one of the like the first WCW things I ever saw on TBS versus Brian Pillman. And those matches between the those two guys are just excellent. He had uh, I want to say he had a tumor or he had a neck injury of some sort that made him change up his style still did really well. And he, he adapted and didn't seem to want to keep anybody down as well. Like he, he kind of knew his spot at, even towards the end of his career where he's still able to do a fair amount, but it, it's starting to wear on him. He'd, he'd do tags like in help get new guys over. Like if you look at, who his partners were the last three years of his career. They're all guys that were on their way up. They weren't, they weren't guys who were already established or a lot of guys who are already established. His costume is just awesome. (laughs) And he like his ability to do so much is just amazing. And now you look at like any of the guys now because of the prevalence of the internet and stuff like that, who are high flyers? They all looked at Liger as the 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 go to guy to steal spots from and ideas and stuff. So that that's why Jushin Liger is on my list. My runners up 
So I uh, since everybody else is doing multiple, I have two. Uh, one is CM Punk. Uh, Who's CM Punk? <laughs> we will educate you one of these days. Yeah, it's the Pepsi guy, Pepsi Man, as Danhausen calls him. Um, he he reignited my enjoyment of wrestling. Oh, the pipe bomb promo. And the pipe bomb That's promo is one to. of them too. I stopped and watching a long time. He's also the guy who. While he it, it wasn't a new thing, he definitely broke some molds to allow other guys from what is referred to as like the indie scene to start getting mainstream success in WWE, which was the only, when he was in, was the only real company at the time. It was them and TNA, and TNA was real distant second at that point. So, like, without him, you don't get Daniel Bryan in there. You don't get Samoa Joe in there. There, like, there's a ton of guys. No AJ Styles. So that's that. And Hogan is the other one that, like, it's it's two sided for me. I have a hard time putting him on just due to his personal life, for lack of a better thing. But. As you guys have all pointed out, it, the, without him, you don't have pro wrestling like it is today. Without, with no doubt in my mind, the 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 thing against him has always been, oh, he couldn't go, and I was always of that opinion too, until I saw it because I have the New Japan Pro Wrestling streaming service. I happened to bunt upon a bunch of Hogan matches that are on there from. Roughly the same time period. Some are a little earlier. Some are like around the start of Hulkamania. Maybe even in the middle. But you watch him in Japan. It's a different guy. Now, is he Liger or anything like that? No. But he definitely had a lot of stuff that he could do that he never really pulled out when he was in North America. Well, and in Japan, he kind of had to do that because they're going to take him out. Yeah. So, like, to protect yourself, you had to, you had to elevate your game. Plus, even with his training, like, well, the the story is yeah. that he Got had his leg. leg broken his first day of training. Yeah. Now, Mister Belay is a little bit of a fibber here and there, so who knows how true it is? Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't wouldn't surprise me. We don't know if it's the truth, but it's true to him, so that's yeah. all that matters. But you, you watch some of it, like the uh, it's a, and he had a weirdly he had a simpler finish back then that probably would have added another five to ten years to his career if he had kept with that and not gone with the leg drop in North America. He had like this double axe handle that just looked really good. It's a I think you see it in it was called the Axe Bomber and I think he uses it in Rocky Three. Um. Yeah. Yeah. But there, like, there's a few matches. In WWF, he uses yeah. it, but uh... but it, it's like you can't deny what he did for pro wrestling. I just like it, it like the the other the, the only other knock I have against him, like even excluding the, the personal stuff, is I think in some ways for as much as he did good for the industry, he also did a lot of things that ended up being bad for the industry. Like his his politicking is legendary. And the guys who learned the politicking from him, who did it even worse than he did, is is also kind of like, eh, how much did that damage things? 
I also think he, he is a guy who overstayed his welcome a lot, like in the later half of his career. Like it like should have gotten out of storylines before he did, and I think that's kind of hurt things here and there for, for me personally. But other other than that, like like you said, you can't have pro wrestling without Hulk Hogan. It's 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 one of those things that the 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 name goes with that thing. Yep. How much better would he have been like when he came in, you know, Iron Sheik won the title, dropped it to Hogan twenty eight days later, Hogan held it for like four years. He never really had to chase the title though. Like how much better would it have been if he had to do some chasing in there? Which is weird for like a, a baby face like how they usually that's the the chase is the more interesting than yeah, the Yeah, but then on. how many years did Bruno have it? You know, that's he true. Le- he had 11 years and Bruno you, you, with Hogan he didn't have to chase the title because it was the what can we throw at Hogan for him to keep it? So that was the chase, was the chase to keep the title. You know, all these monsters are getting thrown at him. Yeah. And he he made it through it all until Andre. Yeah, see, but my knock on, on Hogan, I know what he did for the business, and I saw him live way back then, and it became electric when he was entering and everything. I'm not going to knock that. His matches all ended up becoming the same thing. Like, he was going to take a little bit of a beating, and you know he's going to start to hulk up. And then he's going to drop the guy, and he's going to put the leg on him. And it was it was after you know like a year and a half, two years. Like, oh, this is the same thing. Like, you know, it, it just got stale, like really stale, really. See, and I fast. guess for me, like even now, thirty something years later, I can throw on the the DVDs and be amazed by it, and still get jacked up, like WrestleMania Seven when. Um, actually, recently I watched WrestleMania 7, and I always wondered how Hogan was bleeding at the end of that match. Because, like, I could never see the spot. Yeah. I never saw, like, what did Sergeant Slaughter do to him that he was bleeding? And now that I've got, you know, like, I originally saw WrestleMania 7 on VHS on my on my old uh, 22-inch uh, <laughs> Zenith Zenith TV... Now, when you've got it on the uh, 4K Ultra and you're watching it, you know, 60 inch 4K Ultra, it's like, oh crap, he pulled a blade out of his pants. <laughs> but it, you know, here it is, you know, 27, 28 years later, 30 years later, actually, from uh, WrestleMania 7. And I finally saw what happened. I saw him like drag the blade across his head, put it down on the mat. Hebner picked it up and put it in his pocket. But. Even that, I still get to the end of seven, and Sergeant Slaughter's beating him. He hulks up, beats Sarge, one, two, three. You know, real Americans playing. He grabs the American flag, blood pouring down his face, and I still get chills. Mm. So I guess maybe it's just what Hogan does speaks to certain people. Yeah. No, I would. Uh, it's, it's like music in a lot of ways. It's oh, you, Despite the fact that a lot of our lists are all the same. <laughs> But uh, now, why did The Rock not make any of our lists? I'm sure someone's wondering that. Out there. He came close. Well, if I had a third runner-up, he was probably going to be it. My my reason he never made my list is because I never really thought Rock was a great wrestler. 
he was entertaining in the ring. Um, his you want to speak about move set? I think his move sets were boring. He's got about four to five moves that he does really, really yeah. well, and that's like it though. The the, yeah. the sharpshooter, his sharpshooter looks like crap. Oh. The people's elbow is unbelievable, or is not believable. Um, his, his one DDT, is good. His, yeah, um, his DDT is good. Yeah. But other than that, like The Rock never, and but on the other side, my, my buddy Eric was a huge Rock fan. So back in the 90s, like he absolutely loved The Rock and I just never saw it. But again, it also helped with the Attitude Era because you had those people who loved The Rock and you had those people who loved Stone Cold. And when was Rock versus Stone Cold, like WrestleMania 17, that's when it worked out really well because it pit, pit those two groups against each other, too. Mm-hmm. Well, just even their whole run when it was uh, for the IC belt. When it was the IC belt, but that Stone Cold threw off the bridge. Yeah. I yeah, if, yeah. I wonder if anybody went in the water and got that. I think. Oh, I think. They had divers already ready to get ready it. For it oh. but. It was just that whole story. I, I still remember that episode. Like, that was back in the day when you're watching Rod. You're just like, what, where's Stone Cold going to show up next? When's he coming out? Who's mm. he going to come out and stun her? Or, you know, because, but, but, yeah, no, same thing. Well, like, yeah. Like, I think, yeah. Since you brought up The Rock, there's a bunch of other other people that, okay, why didn't they make the list? Like well, Triple noticed, H. What about Shawn Michaels? Triple H was the guy, I think Jim Cornette said it best. He was the guy who was always in the ring with the guy who was making the money. He was yeah, kind of fortunate that's like pretty that. Pretty accurate. Like he, he good performer, but yeah, he was. You know, he's and, same thing could be said about Mick though. Yeah, no, because yeah. Mick, he was in those matches with the big with the big name guys. Yeah, yeah, but the difference with Mick is though. Even I think Arn Anderson. I saw an Arn Anderson interview when they talked about the Monday Night Wars. I think it's on the thing, and he said when Mick went off the top of that cell through that table, Anderson turned around, looked at the locker room, says. If none of you guys are going to top that, it's over. Well, and I think, uh, the, and then the he just had thing. that the tenacity, and you get up, and you could see that tooth sticking out there, and then well, the so whole match was like Austin Jesus. said that he still had a match that night with it was him and Kane for the title. Yeah, nobody remembers that match. No. Nobody remembers the rest of that card. No. Same no. with uh, if you going back to matches you don't remember WrestleMania eighteen. That's when Jericho won. Or sorry, uh, that's when Triple H beat Jericho for the undisputed title. Do you even remember that? Oh, is that the the Hogan Rock that's Mania? That's the Hogan Rock. Yeah. Well, that's the Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Bizarro World. Bizarro World, World yeah. Mania. So eight, WrestleMania 18, like Rock versus Hogan ends up being the most iconic match, the most memorable match of that whole card. Yeah. While... Triple H won the the title off of Jericho, and I couldn't even remember a single. I can't remember a single move in that whole match. Yeah, but I can almost. And it's probably really solid. Yeah, like if and you I, watch and it, I, it's probably and good. Hogan versus Rock. I pretty much can replay that whole match in my mind. Yeah. And Michaels, Michaels was he was really good. I think the problem that kills him is just. The way he was, his backstage stuff. Like he wouldn't put anybody over. Yeah. He forfeited so many titles throughout his career. Oh, I have to go find my smile. I mean, yeah. He he wouldn't drop the belt to anybody. He had to drop the belt to Austin. 
there's different stories about what went on in the room and who was in the room and who was taping up their hands saying, oh, this is going to happen. Yeah, and the the thing about him, too, is in some ways, I think the when he came back was better his better half of his career. Yep. When, like, you'd kick the drugs and booze, but he was a little bit more limited. But you watch that, his match with Flair is one of the best wrestling matches ever, just for story, right? And his match with The Undertaker is, that's that's the streak match everybody points to at. That's the heaven and hell match. Yeah, that's there. That's the one everybody looks at as, like, one of Taker's defining matches, like, during that whole WrestleMania streak period. Like, it definitely isn't Taker versus Giant Gonzalez in, like, the first half of the streak. So... How come you didn't pick Ric Flair? I know why I didn't pick him. Um, it, it's a, it's twofold. It's one I re, up until like probably the last five years, I really hadn't seen much of Flair stuff other than that brief period where he's in WWF. And even when I was watching WCW during the the Monday Night Wars era, he didn't wrestle a huge amount. Like there's some in there. But it's more him doing promos that I saw because I wasn't getting a lot of the WCW pay per views. Like, like you can say that like about a whole bunch of those guys as you saw them talk, but you had to pay to actually see well, them even wrestle. The whole Ric Flair during the NWO era, there he's sidelined. There, the only one that really stood out was the one War Games when Kurt Hennig was a member of the Four Horsemen and For, turned on Flair. Yeah, so. And, like, there's that period where he was, like, not fired, fired, but he he had been sent home. And, like, it's, uh, like, on a whole, he's definitely, if if we had made a top 20 list or something like that, he's definitely showing up on it. But it's just my sort of personal experience with him is... Like I don't have enough really to to, to put him up there. In in nineteen ninety two and not having the WCW experience here, and when he shows up in WWF, and when it was making a big deal about yeah. him, I'm like, yeah, who like is when this they were guy calling him the real world champion and all that kind of stuff. I had no idea who he was. Yeah. yeah, him, Dusty Rhodes is the other guy like that too, right? Yeah. Like I knew Dusty Rhodes before he showed up in WWF. It was from the the Neighbor Kids Wrestling magazines. The the, Pro the, the yeah the the after mags where you would see pictures of this fat white guy with just blood streaking down his face, but that that was kind of all I knew of him. Yep. Is that or you saw him like with like a chain or a dog collar around him that he, he was being choked out by somebody like Kevin Sullivan or something? Well, else. that was just uh, given a bad gimmick when he got here to WWF. <laughs> yeah, not here, but the WWF. But there was a lot of people like it was a big deal when he came over, and I just like that, like I like uh, okay, some fat white guy. <laughs> that, and other than that, like there's other guys. Even if you look at the WWF during the '80s, there's a lot of guys who were right at the very top. Um, you know, like Jake the Snake. Now Jake the Snake's later part of his career and his life, where you know the booze, drugs, and alcohol just kind of killed it. Mm. But you go back to you know eighty six, eighty seven. Was there anybody more over than him or or Damien? Did oh. they ever give him a title? No, nope. no, because they didn't so. trust him because his his outside of the ring issues. Yeah, yeah. But at that time too, he didn't need it. 
No. You didn't but, have uh, to put a you, title on him. You could have easily seen him as the IC champion. Oh, going back to Jake Roberts, his most memorable feud was Ricky Steamboat. When he DDT'd him on the concrete... And then Ricky yeah. Steamboat came back with the iguana to combat the, the, the snake. Iguana. <laughs> uh, um, and then, you know, other guys, other guys I used to have on a pedestal back in the when I was a kid, you know, like Honky Tonk Man. But then you go back and you watch Honky, it's like, how could he be IC champion for almost two years and not do anything? They they just didn't have anybody for him, really, is yeah. what it came down to. Yeah, it wasn't until like Undertaker or uh, Ultimate Warrior beat him. In like thirty seconds to become the IC, IC champ, mm. but uh, yeah, it was just. But you know, in that eighties run, just guys like um, Big Boss Man. I loved watching Big Boss Man. Yeah, because he was another big guy who could who could move, and also when he dropped the weight and came back in the Attitude Era, and just as relevant as he was in the in the eighties uh, era. There's a couple like and like. One that Ed brought up, Bam Bam Bigelow. Yep. Oh, he like oh, geez, yeah. like there, there was a guy who was like what three, three fifty, and doing cartwheels. Yeah. yeah. What about Vader? Vader? It, well, well, Vader was uh, you survived a match with <laughs> Bigelow. Bigelow again, very underrated worker, carried Lawrence Taylor to a great match to headline a WrestleMania. Yeah. True. All right, and then you can also see where WWE has had the influence here in Southern Ontario because Sting never made anybody's list. Yeah, yeah, no, like the the fact that we we never really saw much of him in, yeah. up until that the Crow gimmick. Really, you, know, you got you got Sting, um, you know, other guys like Harley Race. Yeah, yeah, but by the time we saw Harley Race, it yeah, was like we, the yeah. Harley yeah, Race, and he was kind of an old man by then. And then he, and then a manager. Like I remember yeah. him more as Vader's mouthpiece in WCW yeah. than anything else, or the uh, the Booker slash manager in that uh, Secrets of Pro Wrestling special. <laughs> but see, I think if he ever got a, a heavyweight run, I would have really been close to putting Ted DiBiase on the list. Yeah. Healed yeah. Ted DiBiase at the time when he had the feud with Savage going. He had the feud with Hogan. And, and he, was... he, he was so good at the gimmick and the promo. Yeah. I remember seeing him on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. They did a joke one with him, like touring his mansion and all this stuff. And was absolutely 100% convinced that was all his stuff, yeah. which it was not. <laughs> but but he just did a again, great job. same thing with... Million Dollar Man. He didn't need the title. No, I think the only reason why he didn't get it, though, is because if he had roided out and looked a little bigger, Vince would have been happy to put a title on him. Yeah, that, well, but that's he wasn't, always He wasn't like that... a big muscle. He didn't have a lot of muscle or anything to him, so that was still the era of bigger yeah, was the better. The bigger, better, yeah. yeah. So, uh, to, to end this episode off, I did have a mystery question that I thought I'd spring on all you guys. Was... Is there a new or current wrestler that you could see possibly making your Mount Rushmore in later on? Like not now, but is there somebody that has the potential? I had that to on the list. That. I was looking at that. Okay. Too. Well, we'll start with you then. Um, I was looking at because right now there's really one big company, and then there's all these other little companies. So, well, who could be a star without WWE? I had AJ Styles on that list, 
He was a star at Impact. He was a star in Japan. He was a star at Ring of Honor. He came to WWE. He won the title. The only knock on him is he can't do great promos. He doesn't talk well. He's gotten better. Gotten better. But he's he's not. So the guy I think I could see as a future one would be Kenny Omega. It's a possibility. Uh, his promos are great. He's solid in ring, champion in Japan. Like, he's a mega star without ever actually being in the WWE. Well, he kind of was. Well, yeah, I'm not sure st- if he ever made TV, though. No, he had a little stint in developmental, and then, uh, had an issue with the guy who was running it, and, mm. and was gone. And then he just kind of went off and became a star. And right now, he's carrying, what, three companies? Yeah, you you could. Well, AEW, I wouldn't say he's carrying, but the other two are definitely. Well, he's not carrying, but he's he's their champion. title. Holder. He's their champion. Yeah, he's the title holder for Impact, which is putting on kind of decent shows right now. Yep, and he's still champion in Mexico because of a pandemic. But yep, and he, his current like dirtbag chicken shit heel character is pretty solid. All right, anybody else got one? I'm thinking. I was thinking too. I was hoping that I could stall for time by having you. Because I was thinking, you know, yeah, good pick. For sure. He'd be up there. But so I'm like, who else? Uh, If you want to really project into the future, just if we can look at the way his career has started, I could see MJF being one of the greatest heels. He's. if, If he keeps going. The guy hardly ever wrestles. He works the, the way now. Like he, he's hard, he, you don't really see him, but he's so over, he doesn't have to. He works the mic great. He works the character he, the outside, like on his Twitter and all that. <laughs> Conventions. Yeah. He, if he can continue and and his in-ring will ma- you know, matches his mic work, then I can totally see him making a, a, a greatest list. He he is my pick for that as well. Is that he is just he for me? He is probably the best talker out of everywhere right now, bar none. His promos are always solid. He can always and and he has that old school mentality of not only are they sell, solid, he sells the next match, like the next event or the next thing. He works that in there. And does it well. Like the, these five labors of Jericho he's doing right now are are a perfect like spotlight to that ability. He is. Yeah, it's like, I'm promoting myself and getting my agenda over, but I'm also promoting next week's match to get you to tune in to watch it. Yeah. Oh, and now part of it's on booking. TV. People are going to tune in. Yeah. Who doesn't want to see Hooventude on TV? Well, too? that's the thing is if they had just thrown that out there, nobody would have cared. But how they they did that that part as part of the story, and how he referenced something from what a year, two years ago, to make it part of that story, and not only that, his character and gimmick is such that he was on an episode of Jericho's podcast in full gimmick. Like I want to say, two years ago, it was just at like the start of AEW, and I was listening to it while I was doing dishes and stuff, and Jen heard it, and Jen's like. Who is this guy? And I explained, oh, it's a, and like, he's a real asshole. And I'm like, that, like, he sold it to somebody who has no idea who he is. Okay, I got mine. You got yours? Yeah. Okay. I'm going a different direction. Mm, Good. You can? Yeah. I'd say Charlotte. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, that, that's it. Because right now you're sitting at Charlotte's been six years main roster or six years and yes, six years main roster. So up from NXT, already thirteen time champion. She's she's not even really got going yet, and she can be the top of the WWE for another 10, 15 years. Now, the one thing that she, you, the one thing Charlotte can't do, but I think you can't have her do is change her gimmick. She's a flair. Yeah. It, it's really hard for her to do something else, especially at this point. Yeah. So yeah, it's just either whether you have it be heel flair or face flair. Yeah. But it's yeah. always flair. Yeah. It's just, I think selling it. I think what, would take her to the next level is you know in NXT they always called the Bailey, Sasha, Becky and Charlotte yeah. were the four horsewomen. Well, I think Charlotte needs the four horsewomen now. Have I, I, I think that ladies three, that women's division could really use that right now. Yeah. Like have have a dominant team where, you know, much like Flair, Tully, Arn, and you know Wyndham or Oli or, or whichever combination you want to but go. You with. have Charlotte as the top, and then you have three other women who are with her that you know that they're going to do whatever it takes to keep keep her on top. Mm. But then you also know that Charlotte doesn't need their help to stay on top, and I think. They put that in place. Charlotte's running for another 10, 15 years. Well, see, they had the perfect chance to do that when she had a title, Becky had the title, and then they had a tag title out there. You could have had them all be champions and just ruling over the women's division and ran with that for a while. Now, then people got pregnant and things like that happened. Well, that's the thing. Becky uh, Becky Lynch was the most over thing in wrestling. Yeah. But it's almost like it worked out perfectly that she got pregnant at the beginning of a pandemic and went home when there was no crowds. Because yeah. I think no crowd wrestling in WWE hurt them. I, I think that yeah, that is... Yeah, the but they they that, figured it out last, which is but, weird. But yeah. then that saying that, you look at WrestleMania last year, empty, empty stadium WrestleMania, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte, unbelievable match. I loved it. Now, this past pay-per-view, what the heck was it, Money in the Bank or whatever? Yep. Yes. It was Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley for the title, and Ripley looked off. Like There, Rhea, there is Ripley, something there was, about their their wrestling chemistry that when it, it clicks, yep. the two of them are on fire. When it doesn't, it just doesn't. Yeah. And like that was just, for whatever reason, I couldn't tell you what it was. Yeah, it like just, WrestleMania last year, it it was the best match on the whole card. And then just I watched just that match for the pay-per-view and it was it just but it didn't make sense too because Charlotte beats her and then you know, drops the title the next night to uh, Nikki Ash. I I was just going to say, I think the the only thing that is holding Charlotte back more than anything else is booking, and that's not her fault. (laughs) It's... That just how the, the that women's division they either they they go with it for a while and then they forget that exi- that it exists and put yeah. together stuff last minute. Well, I think I think if Charlotte had, you know, just don't put a bunch of flunkies with her. Put people who can be 
at her level with her much much like like much like uh the four horsemen so well the 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 unfortunate thing that would be great is the one person they should bring in needs to learn a couple things in terms of being a human being is tessa blanchard they brought in Tessa Blanchard. You have somebody who can be a partner. You have another person who is like a legacy wrestler, someone who is really good, and somebody who can be a really good opponent for Charlotte. But unfortunately, she has issues that are causing her not to have steady employment at the moment. Well, it's... it's, it's not that. <laughs> No, we're laughing at, at oh, stomach, stomach that you might hear on the mic. I can hear it on the other side of the room. <laughs> you just put it next time. Just um, did you uh, did you have one? Did we did we all answer that? Yeah. yeah can I throw can I throw one more name out there? Yeah, you can. No, because he's rumored to go to AEW, and depends on what he does there. And after that is Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. Mm. I mean, before he got to WWE, he was like. Considered one of the best in the world, this indie darling. Yeah, he came to WWE. It took a long time, but he became when, a huge star. When he clicked, he he got it. Yeah, with basically with one word, <laughs> he got over with one word. Didn't have to cut a whole lot of punches. Yes. Yep. Because I think one of the last good things I saw on Raw was when he was under. He had to work for the Wyatt family. And they had the cage match, mm. and then he decided he was just going to turn on White, and he got up on the cage, and just you see the whole crowd, you know, hands going, everybody chanting yeah. yes, and it, it the graphic of it looked great. It does look cool when when the crowd gets behind him and starts doing the yes, yes. chant, and everybody's putting their hands up. And so, if he does sign with AEW, I imagine that's going to be the first thing when he hits the ramp. Oh yeah, yeah. And since his entrance music over the past, you know, his run in in WWE was Flight of the Valkyries, which is they, public domain. Well, that works for both him and Punk. Punk yeah. and punks, they just have to license the music. Apparently, for, AEW has. It, it, well, it sounds like it. And Living Color started liking AEW out of nowhere this week on Twitter. <laughs> so it's... Although somebody posted up the... I, I think it maybe it was Meltzer posted up a, like a a promo and i don't know for when it was it's punk and daniels after like a tag match or something that they had done it looked like it was a wwe.com clip and they're like what are we gonna do who are we gonna do with i maybe yes maybe no i don't know and then the both of them just start going i don't know i don't know as they walk off camera but yeah. I mean, his in-ring work is solid. Oh, Daniels? Yeah, it's... Very much a lot like Bret Hart, where you watch his matches and you think he's actually really hitting... Like, when he does those running knees at people and stuff, and you think, man, he's going to kill that guy if he's not careful. Yeah, and, and like, honestly, I, I'm the, the one thing I'm really sad about him leaving WWE, or apparently leaving as of this recording, is the fact that we don't get him and Edge in, in a singles match. Like for a pay per view, because could that, get him and Christian. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'll I'll sort of take that. It's, but uh, so this has been fun. 
Um, I think we should probably do this again. It won't be a a like weekly thing, obviously, no. but I, I think we like we haven't even touched on tag teams, oh. and like as you kind of brought up, we could Snowhawk. Do a, we, no. we could do a women's one. Yeah. Yep. Easy. We and most of the people we picked were good guys. We haven't even picked the greatest heels of all time. No. Yep. Greatest gimmicks. So, uh, oh, we could dissect that top 30 WWE tag team list. Well, I was going to say, oh. you, the, you and tag teams is, I, I would also like to dig into that. Oh, I, I go all over that list and tell them everything they did wrong on it. But <laughs> so, uh, I, I will always provide warnings when these episodes come up because if you don't like pro wrestling, you're not going to like these. But if you have an interest in it, you know, then this, this might be for we're you. Pretty dang entertaining. So. <laughs> At the very least, you just might like listening to us talk. Yeah. But uh, thank you guys for coming over and recording this. And uh, who knows when the, the Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling will be back. But uh, I think it's going to be. So before we sign off, where yeah. can we find everybody? Brent, where are you found? On True North Nerds. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And you and Snowhawk Cosplay have uh, Tales from the Collectorverse, of course. Yes. And our, our, uh, our Instagram at uh, Tales from Collectorverse. Or oh, uh, yeah, tells from Collectiverse. There's no thought in there, but yep. look at this. We're fo- we, we we post stuff on there. It's fun. Yep. And where else can we find you, Snowhawk? Well, uh, you can find me on all social media with Snowhawk Cosplay. And, uh, yeah, uh, follow me there, and you can see some of my stuff on Instagram. As well, uh, as Ryan said, we're posting lots of, like, unboxing, what's in the box, photo reveals, all that kind of stuff on our Tales from Collectiverse Instagram page. So, Lots of fun stuff there, and uh, our podcast also drops the third Friday or third Thursday of every month here on the True North Nerds Network. And Ed, you're a new, relatively newcomer to podcast. Do you have anything you want to promote? No, I have no real social media presence, so <laughs> you can find Ed at work Monday it. to Friday. Monday to Friday. You want to find me? You listen to this over and over, and that's about it. <laughs> All right, thank you for listening, loyal listeners, and uh, we'll be back with regular episodes soon. Set your phasers to Thank you for listening to the True North Nerds. You can find us at truenorthnerds.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at True North Nerds. To contact one or any of the nerds, you can email them at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. Theme music provided by Kirby Crackle. You can find more of their music at kirbycracklemusic.com. If you like this show, Please go to your podcast app of choice and rate and review us. So set your